0: Welcome to Craft Community, the local Irish beer podcast, brought to you by the Independent Craft Brewers of Ireland and Board Beer. I'm your host, Susan Boyle, International Beer Judge and Award-winning beer writer. And on this episode, we're going to be delving into the craft behind Irish craft beers and local Irish beers. And so with us today, joining us on this episode is Maurice DC from Canvas Brewing. Lovely Hello. to have you here. Um, Barbara Anne McCabe from Bridewell Brewery. Hello. And we're also being joined digitally by Richard Seabury from Black Donkey Brewing. Hi Richard.
1: Hi Studio, how are you?
0: Really good. How are you all doing? Very Great. well. Thank you. Good. So I suppose um, we use the word craft a lot of the time when we talk about small producers and we talk about local producers. But I'm really interested in delving into what actually for you each individually makes something a craft, something that is practiced um, and something that is honed and something that absolutely shows a part of the personality of your breweries within the beers that um, people get to enjoy and drink. Um, So I want to delve behind it and find out what aspects of, of your beers do you really think demonstrate the craft for your brewery. So I might throw this idea straight out to Barbara <laughs> and because you're sitting right across from me. <laughs> and I know that we just wrapped up in the Clifton Arts Festival. So you're coming from a background of arts and crafts and, and festivals. So I'm hoping that will spark some of this conversation.
2: <laughs> well, craft is everything that we do, uh, mainly because uh, by virtue of being such a small brewery with a tiny team ev- Everyone has to do everything. There are two of us in Bridewell Brewery. We are a two-person operation. And uh, that means that everything from supply chain management to uh, production operations to sales and marketing through to uh, food safety and hygiene management through to customer service and, uh, and line cleaning of beer lines in our customer pubs, everything has to be covered by the team the whole team which is the do uh, exactly exactly and beer design and and uh, and the actual uh, the the craft of brewing each individual batch using natural ingredients that have a natural variability and communicating with um, our customers like for example we very small craft brewery so we don't do public tours that often but we make a big point of doing staff tours for anyone who can pour a pint in one of our customer pubs we try and get the staff to come visit the brewery so that when they're selling our beer to their pub customers, they can talk about the care and attention that we put into selecting the beer ingredients and making sure the beer is in the best possible condition when it gets to the local customer and that we're right in the centre of our market. We've got low beer miles It's going directly to them. Uh, and that's, that's really, really important. And people who work in bars enjoy selling our beers as a mm. result. Yeah, because I think because they see the people behind it, they see the yes. the craftspeople behind
0: it, that it's not some big beer machine that's off there somewhere making <laughs> the beer, that there's actually people, people behind it. So, Morris, you might tell us a little bit about your brewery too.
3: Yeah, so Canvas Brewery, we're a small farmhouse brewery in North Tiberi, Um And we are farmhouse brewery. We're based on a farm. We grow the grain, we grow hops, the waters from our well. Um And we harvest our own sustainable energy in terms of electricity from an Archimedes and solar and wood-fired boil kettle with the timber coming from our native woodlands. So very much... And yeah, actually, canvas as the name, it kind of for us, it's much more about the art of brewing than say the the science. I'm engineer, and there is science in there, but
0: it's very easy for someone who has a science slash engineering background to be casual with science yeah, because you yeah, just yeah. have it, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's just
3: pH and temperatures. <laughs> it's just you know yeah, yeah, all
0: all the stop. background knowledge that I know innately, and I think this is interesting. Um, craft versus art—it's that kind of play on the two things that 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 there's the imagination side of it. So tell me more about the art
3: yeah so as in so we're small batches so we do about 30 different batches of beer a year Um, and kind of in the discussion of craft versus kind of macro conglomerates that you're supporting someone in a suit and shareholders like one of the things of craft is a human you're supporting two humans who have this industry and they are in turn trying to support local and but the art side for me as in because we're using everything from the farm as much as we can it's we don't get a spec sheet for what we get. Do yeah. you know what I mean? We we, we <laughs> smell the hops, see what it is. And then we have to, and people are like, oh, what about consistency? And you're like, well, there's hops there. We smell them, taste them. We brew a beer and we work from that. So that for us, we kind of, we, we have to try and use all our innate skills. And there's a lot of human skills. And that's, an artist does the same thing. Do you know what I mean? With a painting, with a sculpture, they have a piece of wood or a paint or an image and they try and make something from it. Do you know what I mean. So that's to me sort of the idea of that creativity and that craft. You know,
0: I love this philosophy underpinning the beers, which is really exciting. I often think when it comes to that question of consistency, and um, consistency doesn't necessarily mean the same. It means the same standard, um, and for me, that gives great scope for brewers and breweries to be able to play within that. So you're always going to produce the best beer you can produce. But of course, it might taste different. Sure, every strawberry I pick up or every apple I pick up is going to taste slightly different to the one beside it, you know? Yeah,
3: and depending on the season, if you pick up a strawberry in the middle of winter, it's different. You should not
0: be eating <laughs> the strawberries yeah. in winter. Compared
3: to a Wexford strawberry when it's right and fresh, Do you know? And it looks like a strawberry, but it doesn't taste, doesn't like, taste a like a strawberry, Do you know? So there is that seasonality. And that's, look, in wine, people accept it. There's the year on the wine. Do you know what I mean? And they know it's the same place that made it, same person, but it's a different vintage. So that's because we're a farm and we're malting ourselves. That's something that down the line we're going to start putting the year the grain was grown. So that it's like, you know, because people are like, oh, but each year the grain will be different. It's like, yeah, exactly. That's the point. Do you know if you want uniformity and blandness? There's plenty of it out there. If you want interest, and one of the things I talk about is conscious consumption, actually, that when there is slight variation in the flavors, you have to think about what you're drinking, you know, rather than just, oh, I know this is the exact same, blah, 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 blah. It's like, ooh, what is this? And you have to pick it up and see what is it? And here's the story. And what, who and why, what's this trying to achieve? And to me, that makes it a much more interesting experience. And that's kind of what brings a lot of the craft into it.
0: But also, we're also in kind of slightly different places. I think it's, it's the, you can't step in the same stream twice. You know, you're going to be a different person when you're in a different environment, when you're tasting different things. Um, so it, the beer needs to be relevant and, and even just fresh and new, like you're brewing new batches. Um, inherent in that word craft for me is also the idea that you're, you're kind of on the shoulders of, of giants. Like within this conversation with, with all of us, you're not, you're not the first people ever to brew. Beer ever so, there's this lovely legacy behind you, um, and I love when I'm thinking of, of of Richard in Black Donkey, and I'm I'm thinking specifically of of um, your interest in yeast strains um, and in cultivating these kind of ancient microbes that were long on the earth before us that have this magical ability um, to transform water and grain um, into beer. Um, And I'd love to hear more about the process that you've been on with that, Richard.
1: Well, ultimately, I suppose it's the no yeast, no beer. You know, you can brew beer with grains other than barley. You can brew beer without hops. You'd be hard pressed to brew beer without water, but water can be homogenized anywhere on the planet with the right chemist at the helm. But when it comes to the yeast, no yeast, no beer. Um, So, that's kind of where we put a bit of focus is looking to see what we can do that also will give our beer a very distinct sense of place because there's a, a particular yeast that we use. We've called it Morrigan One because we harvested it from Owenigat Cave in Rosscommon, which back in Celtic mythology was rumored or was said to have been the lair of the Morrigan, who was a goddess, warrior goddess kind of thing. And so... We harvested this yeast, we brewed with it, we got very good results with it. Um, it was honestly, it, it still gives me kind of goose pimples thinking about it. it was a needle in a haystack deal. We probably had a better chance of hitting the lotto than finding that particular strain of yeast in that particular location. But nonetheless, we did. And ha- after we brewed with it for a little while, we sent it off to a couple of labs to get it DNA tested to see what exactly it was. And out of a database of about 30,000 known brewers' yeast strains, it didn't match any of them. It was a 95% match for a Belgian diastatic strain, but it was not a 100% match for anything in, any, in either of the two databases we checked. And so it's
0: been living there literally under a rock for millennia until you discovered yeah. it. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: But the thing is, so... You know, we use in one, any one of, one of the recipes that we brew with that particular yeast, we use hops from Slovakia or Slovenia. We use barley principally from Ireland, a little bit of Belgian barley, water from Roscommon. All of those ingredients could be homogenized and standardized and used anywhere on the planet, but not the yeast, because that yeast is uniquely and individually ours and very much, I dare say, down around... Uh, the farm around Canvas or around Clifton, it's a coastal environment. It's a different environment from this. There's almost certainly different strains of yeast lurking there that have never been used, at least never been used intentionally. It's entirely possible some home brewers have had infected beers <laughs> because you know their sanitation wasn't up to snuff. Yeah. But different environments will yield different yeasts. And there's a, an absolute myriad of yeast strains out there just waiting to be discovered. Now, maybe 1% of them will be a viable Strain for commercial production. But what I think we're missing in Ireland is beer has become reduced. It's been commoditized, homogenized, if you will, and flatlined because it doesn't benefit industrial scale producers to produce a product that the consumer has to think about. That's actually counterproductive. But what we want is we want the consumer to think about our product. We want the consumer to almost aspire to have something better, have something indigenous, something with a real story, something where you can meet the maker. And particularly for us, because I love to eat, I I think everybody in this industry loves to eat, we we would like to produce a range of beers or a series of beers that would at least replace some of the imported wine that finds itself on every dining table in the country.
0: Yeah, I think bringing beer to the table literally is a wonderful thing that we can do here because we can make it here. Um and I uh, absolutely wine has its place, but if you can if you can drink something from the land with eating a meal from the land too, there's just a lovely synergy um with that idea of what grows together goes together, you know.
3: Yeah, and I think the the thing as well about when you go outside of that homogenous world it does require, as I think, well, particularly for us when we have so many different beers, it does require consumers to kind of look at it, read it, see and see in terms of eating what meal would go with this beer. Do you know what I mean? So it does bring a little bit more complexity to it, but to me, that's sort of interest, as in what would work on a Friday evening? What would work with a steak or what would work in these different conditions? Richard's answer is Saison works with all of them, obviously.
2: Well, but, uh, <laughs> he's
1: not far wrong. <laughs> Here for all occasions.
0: I think, um, I always think there's this, um, yeah, this idea that... Um, we are humans and we are creatures of habits. So finding a way of breaking out of those habit patterns so that we can try something different, I think, is yeah. really, really important.
2: And I think local stories are a great way of doing that as well, because um, so in, in Bridewell Brewery, we'd had fantastic local sport right from the beginning because of the story behind the name Bridewell but also but this You might have to just tell <laughs> everyone who's listening
0: about this then Lovely so, segue
2: well, Clifton is a relatively new market town it was built in 1812 by a man called John Darcy as a, a trading town uh, with a key that was able to trade by sea there and some of the big uh, important uh, things that happened was it became a, a district headquarters for the Coast Guard and the police and the one of the first important buildings built in the town was the bridewell uh, and then later on there was a lot of economic activity and the railway came to the town in 1895 and then the marconi uh, wireless telegraph station came to the town in 1907 so all these these things these things happened but the the bridewell was uh, in a prominent position on a hill in the town to show that the rule of law was going to the rule of british law of course at the time was going to be applied uh, to to that that whole district that whole area, but the the Bridewell itself is a kind of a prison or lockup, and it was it was modelled on the first ever Bridewell in London, mm-hmm. which was one of King Henry VIII's palaces, which was given over to the state as a, a workhouse and a lockup for loose women and thieves, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that model was spread throughout the whole empire, but it was called Bridewell after Bridewell Palace, after Saint Bride's Well in London, still there to this day. And Saint Bride was, of course, England's name for Ireland. Saint Bridget and we like to call her the Irish patron saint of brewing to bring it all back to the beer. So uh, we built our brewery right next door to uh, the Clifton's Bridewell on Bridewell Lane in Clifton and that's where we took our name to call it Bridewell Brewery. How wonderful to bring it right back to, to the Irish <laughs>
0: brewing, to, to brewing. Um, I'm loving this um, conversation that has, we talk so easily in Ireland about things that are ancient and modern at the same time. You know, um, microbes that we can see under, under microscopes, but also these ancient places that had these um, abilities to heal or to produce great beer in um, because there was something magic literally in the air or in the soil. Um, and and looking at, I suppose you're on a farm, Morris. So you must see these kind of links to something ancient and something modern all, yeah. all the time.
3: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Because as in, we're and we're growing heritage grains as well to kind of go back to higher flavor grains and things like that. And even on the yeast side, we're kind of changing to farmhouse yeasts. Sorry, we keep our own yeast, but actually, we've gotten Kavaik and Lithuanian farmhouse yeast. So this is with Joyeru, which is a, D- a Lithuanian farmhouse yeast because there is these ancient traditions that yeast have been handed down from generation to generation and that yeast, these Kavike strains go back like 800 years in completely separate line. Do you know, so if we're, If we're trying to celebrate local and trying to celebrate all things farmhouse, all these things, we can start to get more interesting flavours from different yeast, different yeast strains. And they go back into history because that and that's I say the same with the grain. It's that like these are owned by our ancestors. These have been grown like brewing is as old as I don't know they argue over which is older wine yeah, or mead yeah. or whatever but like it's been we've been making beer for a, a long time. time yeah yeah that's that's my conclusive <laughs> answer on that one I, uh, I'm with you a <laughs> yeah. very long, long time uh, yeah, yeah.
0: and also it's interesting as, as human beings there's, there's a lot of talk about how how we adapted to um, to be able to process fermented products and that's what gave us an evolutionary advantage as well um, a lot of talk about whether you know the anthropologists will, will have heated arguments over whether it was um, harnessing brewing or or um, harnessing fire that, that gave us evolutionary advantages. Probably both. Like, why argue about two really good things? Um, but I suppose the simple fact that um, fermented products are more than the sum of their parts, be that like uh, preserved cheeses or um, kimchi, or if it's like putting a bit of grain, um, adding this the water, leaving it in a place where it's exposed to yeast or bacteria, and then having what we can we can call it a simple beer at the end of it.
3: Yeah, fermentation, and that's we do a lot of mixed fermentation, yeah. and like all that's the same process in preserving food, like lactobacillus that's in our barrels, that's in our beers. Do you know what I mean? And all of that, and we do a lot mixed of mixed, yogurt. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like mixed yeah. cultures, so like that you don't have just one single strain. That we got multiple things happening there, because for, for me that's to create lots of different flavours but it also it's more than the sum of the parts by having lots of other things. Now, that's once you go into barrel aging and stuff like that's We put beers into a barrel and we leave them like minimum six months. Most are a year. One's like two years basically. Mm-hmm. But it's like because all of these yeasts they're not optimised for production. They're not sprinters. They take time to do their things. And a lot of things like I'd, I'd say the other guys would agree that it's like by giving the beer time, you can get quality into what it is, and you can't substitute by pushing product out really quickly compared to giving things time in the proper setting. You know?
1: Yeah, like I say, that three of our greatest tools in the way we brew, because we are, I suppose the polite way would be, say we're technologically challenged when it comes to brewing. Um, our process, I think, much like our brands and Morris's, is very, very manual, and three of our greatest tools are time temperature and gravity and that's how we basically filter our beer in cold vertical columns cold tanks over an extended period of time as opposed to the industrial brewers who need to turn their tanks over and around over and over again and are forcing their beer through filters and homogenization units and pasteurizers just in order to be able to get it out the door and free up space and that's that's not craft no matter. It's very hard to define what is craft, but that's not.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we all agree on that one, I'd say.
1: <laughs> Lic- liquid first. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. And like, say, uh, we're, we would be bottle and can condition, basically. So there is a, there is yeast and bacteria in the beer. So it is alive. So you do have alive to store it. store it upright, pour in one go. But to me, that adds more to it because it actually has the stuff, it has the living bacteria in there, which, you know, what does it do to our gut microbiome? There's all the good all things. Of, yeah.
0: All the good things. And I suppose with this, this understanding that these, these little microbes, um, are, are part of us and, and part of the foods that, and the, and the beers that we consume too, and a really essential part. And just because we can't always see them, it <laughs> doesn't mean that they're not absolutely necessary.
3: Yeah, it's com- that's, yeah. it's all completely invisible. But as in that's like in our stomach, it's got bacteria that create the acid. You know, we don't create the acid. And that's like, I suppose, and this is when we're talking about capturing wild ye- yeast, we've done spontaneous fermentation and that sort of stuff, because there is yeast and bacteria all around the place. It's just normally it's on the outside and we don't pay any attention to it. But given the correct conditions you can capture that yeast and you can make an interesting beer out of it. Do you know? Because, well, how did they do it thousands of years ago? Like, do you know, they, they thought it was God and all of this. Now, you still give a little prey when, when you've done a brew to be like, come on, oh, come on be a good, so a good one. Like. I was
0: going to say, you're also really brave.
3: I think most small business owners are crazy, not brave.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a very fine
3: line. Very fine line. You
1: yeah, know, why did we do this again? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh. To make delicious beers, is yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. the answer. <laughs> the uncountable wealth. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Although actually, that is what, one of the things that I, got me into brewing was listening to Gronya and Metalman talking about a, a craft beer festival. And she was like, you know, we came back from London, set up the brewery. And then she was like, one of the little bits at the end, she was like, look, at the end of a week, at least we can sit around with our friends and enjoy a beer. And I was like, as a farmer, I was like, Oh, I get that. Because like there's some years that literally, you know, if it ba- if everything balances, you're like, we got through that one. That's safe, you know. So like to me that there is a lot of that in it. That, And I think a lot of everyone has pride in what you do, you know, that you've created something and it's hopefully a- adding to the diversity and to the like to people's enjoyment of what they do, do you know.
0: Yeah, I also like the idea that what I'm hearing is you just love making beer. <laughs> and who wouldn't? And I think there's the opportunities with with a product like beer. Um I suppose maybe slightly different to the farming aspect. You're you're seeing the end product. You're you're producing that end product and then you're in a position to be able to to hand that over to your distributor or to your company and then to the joy of seeing it being poured somewhere else. And you're like It's mine. I did it. That must be such a kick.
3: Well, I always think it's the scariest moment. Like, you know, because it's... When when I'm when I'm like some of the art where it's like when I brew it's inside the brewery and it's spontaneous and all of that. But it's like when you hand it out into the public, that's the scary moment of like, it's not just me drinking it anymore. That's the.
2: <laughs> it's still always lovely to get people coming up.
1: Yeah, it's unparalleled. I mean, we did a festival last weekend in Ree to a completely unknown crowd. We had no idea what to expect, and the setup as as. Barbara Ann and Morris will confirm setting up for a festival is not much fun. Uh, breaking down after a festival is arguably less fun. <laughs> but the, in between two or three days when you're standing at a bar for 12 hours and your feet are hurting and your knees are hurting and that, but people are just coming back. And, you know, you, this particular festival was only about 2000 people there. But the m- number of repeat customers we had over the two days of the festival was incredible. And people just coming back over and over again. And some local people who knew of our existence but had never consumed our beer before and given a choice of two macro lagers in one bar or four craft beers from down the road in the other bar decided to step out of their comfort zone and give it a try and came back over and over again. It was fantastic. Absolutely class. That's a good win.
2: There is the, the dark side of the word craft in that it can put off some people. people. It can yeah. alienate people because not not all small produced beer is wonderful and fantastic. And if anyone has had one not great experience, that can that can flavour their approach for lots of other breweries that have nothing to do with that first beer. So, you know, that there is an extra barrier to get over that, uh, which is a reality. But it's still wonderful to have people coming up to, on the street and saying, thank you for brewing these beers. You know, even you, you mentioned Clifton Arts Week was on last week mm-hmm. and uh, uh, someone who comes regularly just for that festival sought us out to thank us again for, for the beer that he enjoys every time he visits the country. So it's lovely on to, the, to get the that.
1: corollary of that, we had a local account here, a draft account primarily, and they had a few bottles in the fridge and I gave them what I called some stunt bottles for display. So they were <laughs> fully labelled bottles but they're full of water. And in case it got stolen or knocked over or something like that. And one night, one customer was leaving at closing time and he decided that he would take a bottle home to try it. And the bartender didn't realize the stunt bottle for oh, stunt yes. bottles gave it to him. He took it home <laughs> and he came back in the next day and he complained. And he said, "Jeez," he said, there's awful watery stuff. Like, <laughs> here. And he was told no, 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 that was a bottle of water. It was a mistake. You shouldn't have been... I was only for display purposes. Here, have another one. And his response was, no, I tried it once. I won't be trying that again.
3: Oh, oh
1: dear. That's even so after it was explained to him.
3: This that, is, is stunt, and you shouldn't be robbing
1: it. Oh,
0: yeah. It yeah, should yeah. have been like, you shouldn't have robbed the um, yeah.
1: bottle. Oh, no, no, he paid for oh, it. He bought oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it was on the up and up.
0: Ah. Yeah. Oh, I, but it's one person. But I. I also... I always wonder, like... What's so wrong about tasting something you don't like? You know, like what's really like know it's the, worst, but the worst thing that can happen to you is you get something you don't like. And and so big deal. Like, let's let's then just realise that I don't like that. I'd like something else and maybe have a conversation with someone about it or find yeah. out what and it why, is that you don't like. Yeah.
3: Why there's some element and like that's like we've a bunch of sour beers and yeah. stuff and barrel aged beers. And I'm like, look, you need like. Have you ever had a sour beer? Do you know what they are? Because otherwise, like... (laughs) It could be a bit of a shock. I'm like, smell it first, basically, to prepare yourself. Because some people are used to just, like, swigging. And that's their first bit. And I'm like, no, like, stage one of tasting something is smell it. (laughs) You know, smell, do you like this? Do you not? You know, because, like, I'm not a fan of aniseed, like, or licorice. So if I smell something at licorice, I'm going to be like... "Mm." That's just not probably for me. Probably not, not going to have my, you, so. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you probably won't find an aniseed beer. That's one thing we'll probably not do. But do you know what I mean? And that's it's that process, though, of like, what do I like? What do I not like? And that introduction is so important mm-hmm. of like, what is this here? Look, if you haven't had craft beer, try this one. This is a nice introduction, similar to something and then you start that journey of exploration, but you don't start in a double IPA or something, or you know, that's.
0: And you also don't have to commit yourself to that beer for the entire rest of your life ever. Yeah. So you can't <laughs> be like, right, well, I had this one craft beer and I hated it and now I'm stuck drinking it forever. Yeah. No, like, how sad would it be if I was still drinking the same things that I was drinking even five years ago, let alone that moment where you taste a breakfast cereal that you think you loved when you were a kid as an adult and it's like a shocking disappointment? <laughs> <laughs> um, like our palates change and, and so the beers that we enjoy should change with with our tastes and flavours and profiles and also where we're drinking them. Mm. And we don't have to drink a whole pint of it either. Yeah.
1: I can yeah. imagine that. And, yeah. and also just don't let yourself be influenced by other people's opinions. Um, a friend of mine posted, I'll never forget because it was a, the best response I've seen. A friend of mine posted a picture of a Halloween pumpkin beer, which is not my cup of tea i generally don't like beers with added spice but what made this twice as worse was the rim of the glass was rimmed with probably a combination of cinnamon and 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 nutmeg nutmeg. and all that (laughs) like a margarita glass would be rimmed with salt and i just went what the and his response (laughs) his response to me was very succinct and simple and he said don't yuck my yum
0: Oh, you see?
1: (laughs) Class. Yeah, yeah. I can't argue with that.
0: Because we are different. I I think that's it. When we're talking about expanding people's palates and getting them to try different things, that sense of experimentation is what's Well, In in
2: Ireland, I think it's very interesting that the uh, psychology of going to a restaurant and having a steak and not liking steak in one restaurant will not put you off having steak somewhere else ever again. But we expect pubs to all be the same, Mm. especially for draft beer and to have... uh, So there's that extra barrier all the time to try and uh, sell draft craft beer.
0: And maybe that's a level of conditioning that needs to be challenged.
3: But it's it's also accepted in like that black beer that is produced that like there's pubs that it's good and there's pubs, you know, and that's celebrated. You know, even though they spend millions on trying to get everything uniform, there's some that are like, and that's, that's kind of known by a lot of people. Like, I remember being with a friend in uh, Beijing and he went to an Irish bar to get one. And I was like, man, we are so far away. Like, there is no way that's fresh or nice or anything. Like, but he, and sure enough, it wasn't. And I was like, what did you expect? You know, like, but that's, to be in the, to get that into the vernacular that, you know, craft, you have to think about how fresh it is. All those
1: other little bits that. That's another fresh. Fresh beer is not necessarily good beer. That's a crock of double IPA.
0: <laughs> so, like the cold chain, Richard. Are no, into no, absolutely.
1: How's, how's your New England IPA coming on, Richard? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 going the direction all New England IPAs should be going. Um, it it is a valid point, but it's been applied universally across all craft. Yeah. And Morris was just talking there, and I can echo his sentiments we bottled a beer recently that's been in barrels for two years and even if i gave you that bottle two weeks after it's bottled and it's fully conditioned at least carbonated i can say here's fresh beer how can i say that's fresh beer when it's been in a barrel for two years yeah and we've got another one coming that's been in a barrel for three years so fresh is applicable on certain styles and certain mm-hmm. flavor profiles but when i hear and i I'm guilty of using it myself. Oh, fresh beer. It's only brewed down the road, but like a bottle of sheepstealer, our signature beer is probably getting into its stride about six months after packaging. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so so like fresh two years yeah. after packaging, it's, class. Yeah, five, yeah. Even five years after packaging.
3: Particularly it's when, it's, when it's can or bottle conditioned, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that it's still alive and it's improving that it's like yeah, fresh beer is for a certain style of sterile beer or New England IPA that the hops are floating in it, whatever. Mm. I'm not a huge uh, IPA producer either. But it's like, so certain beers age brilliantly, do you know what I mean? But then you don't want to get a fresh like New England IPA and try and age it for a year and be like, God, it's one year. It's like, no, that one so suppose
0: yeah just knowing about what what fits a style and this it is interesting to just realize that i suppose part of the craft that you're you're creating and making is realizing that the that the time is a really essential part of that process, be that the time that you spend producing the beers, be that the time that you spend even thinking about the beers when they're just fragments and and thoughts in your imagination before they've actually been realised, to understanding the time that it takes to produce that, to physically make it. And then when... The timing of when that beer is released. And then there's another time factor, which is when people are drinking it. So at what occasion and how are they celebrating this? The time is something that's really in people's minds when they're thinking about craft.
3: Yeah, actually, I got sent a photo of the Sunday Cuddle, so one of our first versions, and someone was having one. So it was like three years old, and they were just like spot on, awesome. Because I'm like, yeah, after three years, that's it's a ten percent beer. It can, you know, it can in a own. barrel ten percent. It'll keep aging and continue to improve. Do you know, but like a real light beer, you don't want to age it. But that's part of the fun and the joy is once you realize that it's not just a static product. This is a live product and you can age it and you can treat it differently and you can do all of that. To me that makes interest. And to
0: play on your your canvas um idea, you have you have a palette and and, and a physical palette that we're tasting with, but also a palette of different things, um like different colours for, for an artist to be able to um to pair at different moments or different times. Um, and that's really exciting within the craft of craft
3: brewing. So some of these beers that are meant to be wide appealing for every occasion, there's certain beers that are more segmented to like Sunday Goddard, I'm like Christmas Day, that's when that should be consumed. Eh, Probably a little bit more. But, you know, there's certain things that a pale ale can be more applicable over a larger bunch of situations. But particularly for these specialised beers, you know, like a sour beer, you shouldn't really drink lots of them. You know, it should be kind of one beer and enjoy it and then you can do different things. So there is that That understanding, but also like where is that time and space yourself and then what situation and what your friend, like we all know consuming a beer with friends is way better, you know. Oh, yeah. Like that, because it's that social interaction. (laughs) But those all play into making a beer tasty. And it's like being at a beer festival when people come and collect a beer from like the owner, from the brewer. Mm. They're like, oh, this is you made it. That gives people, and it doesn't help their enjoyment of the beverage. Do you know.
0: So while we've been talking about um, the aspects of crafts that allow us to link to things from the past, the production methods also um, are really. Interesting within your brewery, the Bridewell. So um, maybe Barbara, and you tell us a little bit about. Uh, we've talked about yeasts coming from 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 places that have been
2: unearthed, um, but where do you brew? <laughs> <laughs> we brew below ground level, Susan. So um, so at Bridewell Brewery, we uh, we. Built a bespoke brewery from scratch. It was the first one in in many years in Ireland. So I came up with the idea in 2001 and built the brewery in 2006, right next door to uh, Clifton's Bridewell building. And in order to respect that building, we Decided to dig down to fit in the brewery rather than making it a high-rise building. So we, our brewery is on three levels and the brew house and the fermentation room are both below ground level in our basement. And now we have a, a small backyard with concrete steps up to ground level. So our fermentation room, now the big advantage to that, our fermentation room uh, is uh, has a very stable year-round temperature so we use less energy for cooling all our tanks it makes it greener and more uh, eco-friendly which is great but the the one disadvantage of having our brew house below ground level is that uh, we have to bring all our spent grain up to ground level to to then um, have it uh, taken away as animal feed in in a local farm Uh, but it saves on gym membership so that's great
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's great i love this idea of being um so committed to the craft of brewing that you're also mindful of the environment that you're in and the place, Absolutely. the built heritage because sometimes we we, we often think about um, like the environment as being something that's natural but the the built heritage is really important and the stories that are part of the communities that we're in as well and you can see that really clearly with the names that you have on your beers too, that, that you're linking back to stories and events that are, are part of, of the history of the place that you're from.
2: Yes, so we uh, are primarily a draft beer brewery, but we have done some uh, limited edition bottles in the past. And uh, something we're very proud of, of linking back to our local community here in Clifton, in Connemara, is that uh, in... In 2019 it was the centenary of the first ever non-stop transatlantic flight from Newfoundland to Clifton in on the 15th of June 1919 Alcock and Brown landed their Vickers Vimy biplane in uh, in uh, Derry-Gimla to south of, of Clifton because it was right next to the uh, Marconi wireless telegraph station that could tell the world that they had just won this hugely amazing and dangerous race to be the first across the Atlantic. Now they did that 28 years before Charles Lindbergh uh, did the first solo flight and when Charles Lindbergh landed in Paris one of the things he said to the welcoming crowd was that Alcock and Brown showed me the way. And that's... <gasps> An amazing thing. So back in, in 2019 there was this fantastic uh, celebratory year and a festival in Clifton to celebrate this and at Bridewell Brewery we designed two beers to be part of that celebration. Um, so a pilot and navigator. And uh, navigator was a brown ale after the surname of Arthur Brown, the navigator of the plane. And uh, pilot was a golden ale after the fair hair of uh, Alcock, John Alcock, who was the pilot. And to make the transatlantic link, we took North American styles and we uh, brewed them with the European equivalent of each ingredient, for example, uh, instead of American cascade hop, we used a Slovenian cascade hop. Genetically identical, but grown in different soil for so many decades that it had a much more subtle flavour. So we called them a transatlantic gold and a transatlantic brown as the two styles. We got awards uh, that year for for them, and we were very very pleased with them. And uh, they came back by popular demand in 2020. But in the pandemic, we didn't do them. But we 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 might do them again if you might flight again.
3: (laughs) We do love a good pun as brewers. I I like that.
2: (laughs) But people loved having the story on the label, and it was a really good local connection and it was very popular in the local area and pilots around the world were writing to us asking for it as well which was very very good. What I
0: love about this um, idea is I think we've really expanded sometimes there's a lot of um, talk in, in our beer community about what does craft mean and a lot of it comes down to trying to nail down the uh, the um, the volume in your brewery or who your owner is or these kind of things. Um, for me I think it's way more important than that. I think it's I think it's the the, the, like I said the time Um, it's the understanding of the people in the breweries to link to the craft that has gone before them to, to the past and to also bring something modern and bring their own interpretation to that too. Um, and I think what we've done in this conversation has had a lovely meander through those inroads of of what pulling apart the threads of what actually craft means. So it was an absolute pleasure to be joined um, by you on this episode. Um, and I really look forward to cracking open more of your delicious beers and enjoying them in the future. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Susan. Thank you
0: on behalf of the independent craft brewers of ireland and board bia i just really like to thank our guests for joining us on this episode and also to invite you to tune in next time to our next episode where we will be discussing the joys of beer and food matching